In Placentia Bay, Newfoundland, fishing vessels are disturbed by an apparition. A ship appears, on fire, the flames hot enough to be felt by the living. Strangely, it's not a fishing schooner, nor a ship belonging to the various European nations who struggled for control of the region. It's a Greek galley, crewed by naked, screaming oarsmen. This story first appeared in print in P.J. Wakeham's 1962 article in Newland magazine, in which the author states that the story of the Phantom Galley goes back to the early days of colonialization in Newfoundland. Its appearance is a mystery, and among the many ghost ship stories of the Newfoundland coast, it stands out as inexplicable, especially because, in many other such legends, the stories behind the phantoms are as important as the apparitions themselves. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Before the theme music in this episode, you heard the story of a phantom Greek galley recorded off the coast of Newfoundland. My thanks to the wonderful host of the Fairy Folk Podcast for narrating the story and adding the atmospheric soundscape to it. There are many stories of ghost ships recorded in the Newfoundland and Labrador areas, and my guest on the podcast today, Karen Murray-Bergfist, has been undertaking valuable research adding these to a digital map. All of the stories recorded on there at the moment come from the archives of the Memorial University of Newfoundland Folklore and Language Archive, a joint initiative of the Folklore and English departments of that institution, which was set up in 1968. I spoke with Karen recently about her work to put this online resource together, and where it might go next, as well, of course, about the ghost ships themselves. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the Folklore Podcast. It's lovely to have you here. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, Before we get into the depths, as it were, and detail of your project um, and the research you've been doing, let's just start, if we may, by getting you to say a little bit about who you are, where you are, why you're interested in folklore and and in particular why you're studying ghost ships. Sure Um, well I am a PhD student in folklore at Memorial University of Newfoundland. I'm currently based in St John's. Um, I've lived a few different places and most recently come from Ottawa. Um, I'm a writer, actor, artist and one half of the Practical Fantasists creative team and that's what I do when I'm not doing school. Um, and yes, to t- tell you a bit about the folklore program here, it's the only English language folklore program in Canada that has degrees at every level. So it has, you can do a bachelor's, master's or PhD in folklore here. And that is very rare. So um, Newfoundland's a very folklore rich area and it's, an area where folklore is um, studied and respected and, and there's really sort of a 
a very big public um, awareness of of the area as a as a region of folklore. So I very much appreciate that living here and, and studying here. Um, my own studies have been a little bit all over the place. I started off in social anthropology, went over to Viking and medieval Norse studies, did a degree in Iceland, and then realized that all my studies kind of kept coming back to folklore. And that was the thing that kept interesting me the most. Um, partly because like my previous degrees, it involves a whole bunch of different things and it's not, um, it's, it's never just one solid mass to study. It's, it's a whole bunch of disparate parts and they're all super fascinating. So that was what got me to, to realize that this was, this was the program that I wanted to do. This was the field that I wanted to be working in. So how has all of that previous uh, study, social anthropology, Norse medieval, studying in Iceland, kind of honed in on the path that it's taken to lead you to research ghost ships as your PhD subject? Well, I think moving out to Nova Scotia for my bachelor's degree was the first sort of contributing factor in that because um, I was living by the sea, researching all this maritime history. I've, I've always been interested in maritime um, cultures and maritime stories and um, you know, grew up with a lot of Age of Sail um, n- novels and, uh, and a real love of that that. Um, world so so living by the ocean and suddenly being in the places where um you know maritime history is right at my fingertips and then going to Iceland where likewise a lot of the world sort of revolves around the sea and a lot of the history revolves around the sea I mean it's an island in the middle of the Atlantic it's very (laughs) ocean focused so um so so I think that kind of got me thinking along the lines that I would like to study I would like to center my own studies around the sea in some capacity. And um, I've also always been interested in ghost stories, I guess, in a general sense. I actually used to work for a ghost tour company and um, got to t- lead tour groups around telling them, telling them ghost stories about the, uh, about Ottawa's history, Ottawa's darker history. And so then the two just sort of converged, I guess. Uh, Starting this project was due to a graduate assistantship with um, the Memorial University of Newfoundland Folklore and Language Archive, MUNFLA. And I was basically uh, asked at the beginning, you know, is there a particular project you'd like to do? Is there a particular area that that you're interested in studying or interested in, in honing your skills in a particular way uh, while you're doing this semester long assistantship. And I'd been toying with the idea of doing a folklore map of some kind for, for a while. And I was trying to narrow it down to a, a manageable subject and realized that there were a lot of stories about ghost ships in the archive, realized that that would be something um you know, I could I could fill sixty hours of work with that, no problem, and it wouldn't be so um, it wouldn't be too chaotic for people to actually use and and to be able to read the map. Now, uh, before we go any further, we should probably just define 
ghost ships? Because the answer to that isn't necessarily going to be as straightforward as people think. I mean, when you, you use ghost ship as a term, I suppose most people will go, oh, Flying Dutchman is a kind of obvious example, uh, something like that. But is it as clear cut as that or are you looking at different aspects here? No, you're right. There are grey areas and there are complications in defining that. And actually, when I was creating the different categories that I was sorting these stories into for the map, I had trouble initially trying trying to place some of these stories because initially I was thinking, yes, ships that are seen or that return as, as revenants, you know, whether it's an entire vessel or it's a strange light that people talk about that being... Um, you know, the, the site where, where a ship sank previously and this is this is the ship coming back to haunt them. Um, and those are fairly straightforward when it, you know, when it's an apparition or a sound of some kind, people interpret as a, as a lost ship returning. Uh, but then there are stories about, well, um, a lot of, oh, what's the word? When, when a ship is wrecked and people on shore will see um, apparitions of loved ones who are on board that is a maritime ghost story it's not a ghost ship but it it is connected to a shipwreck and it is a, a ghost story so that ended up being a separate category as well as um, ghosts being seen on board ships um, and and then some sometimes these these um, lights or sounds or different things that fall into don't really fall into a particular um, category necessarily because people will interpret them in different ways. Some people will say that this is you know, the, the bell from a lost schooner, or this is the, the cries of uh, shipwreck victims at this particular place, but then there'll be other, there'll be other ways of telling that story. So it does. Yes, I have, I've been working with the definition of anything that's basically it all depends on, on um, the way the story has been told to the person who collected it. Um, I'm working at you know, two degrees of separation, basically from the person who either had the experience or knew the story um, because I'm not the one who collected most of these. Well, so far I'm not the person who has collected these tales. I'm hoping to do some field work in the future with them, but with the ones that are already in the archive, those are stories that someone else has um, has taken down. And so I'm really just working with the way they've phrased it, the way they've interpreted it, and um, and whatever context, whatever contextual details I can get um, from anything else that they talked about in their interview. Now, as, as you say, you, you started this project by working with archival material and and we'll come back to uh future field work later on um looking at that archival material is uh newfoundland uh very sort of well covered with these sorts of stories is it, is it a trope that we find a lot of uh, more so perhaps compared to other coastal countries or have you found that there are parallels all over the place that's a good question because i don't know what the current status or cur- current research in 
Nova Scotia, for instance, is um, in terms of what's being collected and what's being what's still being told. Um, I'm mostly familiar with Helen Creighton's work, but that was quite a few decades ago now. Um, and you know, she published the book Blue Nose Ghosts, which has um, quite quite a number of ghost ship stories in it, some of them quite detailed. Um, so I have the impression of Nova Scotia as being about on par with Newfoundland in terms of um, how often these stories turn up, but I don't know how um, prevalent those stories are today or how many people know about them outside of uh, reading them in, in published books. Uh, whereas a lot of the work from the archive, a lot of the stories were collected in, I'd say, the 70s. And it it would be interesting. I mean, already I have heard some people, you know, some people have come to me telling stories stories about how they heard the, um, they heard about a ghost ship in their area when, when they were growing up. So these, these stories are still being told to some extent and are still present in, um, in people's communities, you know, or, or they were when, um, you know, a few, a few decades ago anyway. Mm. So, um, the stories that you find in the archives in, Newfoundland looking at the, those ones which you've been plotting do they cover particular story types particular themes uh, do you group them into certain types of story for example the groups that I have on the map at the moment are very general and if I were going to get more specific I could get more specific because there are certain patterns that do recur a number of times throughout the map um Right now, I'm I'm categorizing categorizing them by whether or not we know the name of the vessel and whether um, whether or not it's a vessel that was known to have been wrecked or whether it's um, and again again there's this sort of gray area because there are quite a lot of stories in the purple category on the map, which is the unnamed and unknown vessel. Um, some of them are as as scant or as vague a story as you know there's there's a light scene here and it's said that 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 is a ghost ship no more details than that but then others you start to get things like you know there was a ship that was blown out to sea and this light can be seen retracing the course that that ship took but there's no name given so it's still hard to trace and i you know i wouldn't be able to find a record of it in um in a history book or in, in the Maritime History Archive, for instance, that would be a really difficult one to find more details on. Whereas others, like in the in the blue category, which is the named vessel, you get stories like the blue jacket, where um, there are three sightings of it on the map. There are published stories about it. There, there were newspaper accounts of the wreck at the time, and it's a very well-known story in, um, in that region, in Conception Bay. So... There are there are places where the categories get a bit blurry, but generally I'm working with whether or not we know the the name and the history of the vessel. In terms of more narrow categories, there are definitely story patterns and story types. There's the idea of the ghost ship as a weather warning. Um, a lot of stories about people who chose not to go out on a certain day because they saw or they heard some 
um, something that you know was said to be the often it's a sound sometimes it's an apparition and and it'll be oh yeah that's this ghost ship that that warns us not to go out and you know it's always seen preceding a storm it's always there right before the weather turns and so we decided not to go out and lo and behold there was there was an enormous storm so um they can actually they can actually be very helpful apparitions um there's also as i was mentioning earlier there's also the stories of premonitions that's the word i was looking for the premonition <laughs> stories of, of someone appearing at the moment of their death at sea which are always very poignant to read do we find as well that there are stories um of ghost crews on ships as well as the ships themselves um or is it normally actually the vessels that are, that are mentioned in these stories that's an interesting one a lot of the stories don't mention crews which um you know the qu- question sort of came up for me at the beginning of this does that mean that the ship itself is alive um or has has a, a soul and sort of has an essence that can return um and as a sailor myself i like to think the answer is yes mm-hmm. um but there are some stories of of phantom crews there was one i believe it was in the 1920s that this story was said to have happened that a ship was sailing along in I think Placentia Bay and a ship passed very close to them. They seemed to be having a party. It was, it was in New Year's that this was happening. So, you know, the, the one crew sort of raised a toast to the other crew or waved to them and, and got quite a good look at them. And then the ship vanished. So there's a few stories like that. And then there are stories as well of entire crews of um, wrecked ships that, that come back as either ghosts themselves or as phantom voices. Um, there's one story about the Hollies um, it, where there was a ship wrecked and the voices of, of the crew could be heard howling when the wind was up. So you do get some stories of phantom crews as well. What's, um, what's, what's been any particular favourites that have come up as you've gone through these? Um, there's got to be a wide range of different stories in there. Anything that you found particularly intriguing or surprising? Oh, they're always they're always interesting for different reasons. Um, I think there's well, there's a couple with um, lights that are seen sort of tracing out the route of a lost ship, and I always find those really memorable. Just just the idea of of them retracing the same um, sort of their final steps, as it were, which is very eerie. Um, and there's also some that, because of the level of detail um, that we have about them, that are quite memorable. Like, well, like the blue jacket that I was mentioning earlier. That one, well, there's three sightings on the map, and, and two of them are just fairly standard. Someone was was walking by the shore, and they saw a ship, and it looked like the blue jacket. And then there's one that really takes some turns I didn't expect, where. Um, it was shortly after the ship was wrecked and a man was walking along along the shore and found some lumber that had been washed ashore from the wreck and he decided not to take it home and build with it because he thought that it was a bad idea to use shipwreck lumber. He walked on a bit and found some more wood that was further up the beach and he thought this is probably from something else. This, is, this isn't this is blue jacket wood. This is wood that I can use to 
to build. And he went home and he built with it. And then he started hearing sounds. He started hearing voices coming from the woods. He started to be, you know, woken in the night by the by these strange noises and realized that he had been wrong. This was this was lumber from the blue jacket and it was haunted. And so he took it out and um, threw it away and he was never bothered again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a bit of a strange one. So I wasn't doing that. How long a period of time are these stories covering? Is this a very long-lived legend? Uh, that particular one was late 19th century, so so it's not a particularly old one, but there are legends that go back um, quite a bit further. Let's see, there was one in... Ah, uh, yes, there was one in the harbour of Placentia that was first reported in the 17th century. It was. It looked like a a 16th century Portuguese vessel with crew aboard. So another, another story of phantom crew and it refused to stop for French customs officials and they fired at it and then it disappeared. So there are some stories that go back quite a bit further as well. And do some of these stories then linger? So the same thing gets reported many times. With that one, the, it's a little bit, um, hard to tell how consistent it's been um because when it when it was collected by um whoever was was collecting it for the archive they were told that it appeared on foggy or stormy nights but and, and that it dated back to um to this 17th century incident um but there's no it's difficult to tell how consistently that story has been told so I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure of the consistency of any of these stories, really. So they tend to be more like one-off stories that somebody somebody will report a particular incident. It'll get recorded, but it, it's not like some of the um, sort of legendary ghosts that that form motifs, where it says, "Oh, that, you know, a headless horseman gallops along this particular road, and it's always been seen on this date, and it gets seen." over and over again they're, they're not so much calendrical and they're seen uh, repeatedly at the same time or by a number of people but they're, they're more isolated incidents often yes there are a couple of exceptions um there's there was one story about a dory that was rowed rowed to shore on the same night every year and and it was seen going to this island um Every, every year on, I believe, June the 25th. And the, the people of, of the nearby communities would, would see it and hear it. Um, and stories started coming up about treasure that, you know, it was rowing ashore because they, you know, they were part of a crew that had buried treasure there. There are a lot of pirate treasure stories in Newfoundland. So this is, this is one, of, one of them. Um, and it's also one of the more elaborate and deadly stories of treasure hunting because it ends with a couple of fellows going out to try and dig up this treasure and they they both get killed by the ghost um but that's that's the only one i can think of off the top of my head that's seen at the same time every year others that are any other recurring ghost stories or ghost sort of apparitions that that turn up multiple times tend to be ones that are weather warnings is is that the most common type of story we find that this kind of um 
warning against going to sea and, and something appearing for that reason? Is it a particular kind of uh, maritime superstition that, that has developed into this trope, do you think? I would say it's the most frequent, uh, frequently identified pattern. I, I think a lot of the stories on the map don't really, don't necessarily fit a pattern, but if there's one that returns the most often, it is that because it's the one that is often most relevant to people's lives. Now, you've been dealing, as you say, with archival material, and does that go up to relatively recent times? Yes, I think the most recent ones that the most recent cards that I was working with were from, I'd say the nineties. Um, yeah, I, a lot of research was done in the seventies, um, and and a bit in the sixties and the eighties. But yeah, nineties would be the most the most recent of the ones that I was using. Okay, so so what you're looking to do now is to, is to essentially continue this research on by by moving from the archive in, into field work to yes. collect more of these stories. Is that focusing especially on Newfoundland or uh, and, and Nova Scotia as well? Probably for for the sake of maintaining my sanity and my supervisor's sanity for my PhD, it will be focused on Newfoundland. But I am interested in looking beyond that, beyond the Newfoundland context. And um, mainly my area of focus would be and has been the the North Atlantic. Um, I'd love to see some more, um, you know, look into some some stories from the British Isles, for instance, uh, from Western France, um, do some comparisons between types of stories that I found in those regions and types that I found in Newfoundland, mm. um, because a lot of the, the like the fishing culture of of Newfoundland is a mix of um, a lot of West Country English, a lot of Irish, um, and and some French as well. So it would be, I think, fascinating to to do a bit of a comparison. But I I think to start with, I'll look at Newfoundland, and I'll work with a few questions about uh, about um, yeah how the stories are told today. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these stories come through migration, don't they? I suppose as well. So it'll be interesting to see if there are uh, parallels in in other countries um, where folklore is very similar. I mean, I guess a lot of folklore in the UK is very similar to, to folklore in, in Newfoundland, certainly because of those migrations. So it'd be interesting to see mm-hmm. if those parallels are there. Um, and in terms of your field work, how are you going about it when you reach that stage? Are you wanting people to send you information or are you going out to actively search for it? Well, I would love to be able to go out and, and actively search for it Um it's a little bit tricky at the at the moment trying to figure out when fieldwork is going to be possible again, and mm. um, so I, you know, I, ideally, I would love to to do a trip around the island um, of of you know researching the entire way and and meeting people in person and having these long chats um, because that often seems like the best way to to conduct fieldwork um, but as as it is right now I would 
I would love it if people had stories to that they knew that they could uh, send send to me and maybe you know follow that up with uh, with an interview or, or just uh, just an extended chat about about these stories if yeah if anyone's heard them in their own communities. Okay, so if people have stories that they want to send to you about ghost ships, particularly in the Newfoundland area, or that they think have some kind of um, either parallel or connection with that area, how should they go about doing that? Well, if if we can put my email address in the in the show notes, or... we will certainly do that. Yes, perfect. Um, yeah, if people. That's the easiest way, honestly, is uh, just getting in touch by email, and then we can go from there. Fig- figure out, um, yeah, figure out if it's possible to have have a chat in person or via Zoom or phone or any other any other means. Um, I am absolutely open to um, to to contact there. Excellent. Okay, so I will put your email address. Uh, in the notes for this episode so if people do want to send Karen um, snippets of information that they think will be of interest then you'll be able to do so that route or or send them to the folklore podcast address if that's easier and I can forward them on too that's no problem now if people want to look at your map to see what work you've done so far and to look at these stories that we've been discussing in this interview again I will put a link to it on our website Uh, but how do they find that map if they want to go and search it out for themselves? It is available through MapHub, um, MapHub.net, yes, which is a public free tool to create maps, um, and I've found it extremely useful. Um, if I think if you do a Google search of ghost ship map of Newfoundland and Labrador, it's the only one that exists so far so um so you'll probably find it that way also i guess i guess we can stick a link in the in the show notes as well and um and it'll be available there and uh it's also oh there's a link to it through my own website as well or my um mine and my creative partner's website um which is practicalfantasists.wordpress.com Excellent. So lots of ways there to find uh, the map and do seek it out because the, the, there is a wealth of data on there, which is well worth exploring and some really great stories. Uh, and this is a subject which I think has, has not been covered in, in great detail by too many people, actually. So um, if we can grow this research, that would certainly be uh, really good. That is what um, a student loves to hear. Absolutely. Yes. So how much longer are you working on this project for as uh, part of your PhD? As long as it takes me to finish, I suppose. <laughs> um, I'm aiming for a couple more years, um, but I think a lot of that will depend on how um, how the next few months pan out in terms of structuring the fieldwork and decide, you know, deciding how I'm going to approach it and, and what is a contained enough question to really... Um, go go into great depth on for for the thesis itself excellent so if people want to find out more about this research then do uh, go and have a look at karen's wonderful map 
read some of the stories that are on there. If you have stories of your own, do get in touch with Karen or myself and send them on. And hopefully this map will continue to populate with more stories as it spreads up and down the Newfoundland coast. I should look forward to finding out more also. In the meantime, Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about your research. And I hope you find lots more. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thanks to Karen for telling me about her research into the Newfoundland and Labrador ghost ship stories. You'll find a link on the Folklore Podcast website to the map so that you can browse the tales for yourself. In a moment, I'll tell you what's coming up on the next episode of the Folklore Podcast. In the meantime, here is some other exciting news. Regular listeners will know that we've been developing a new long-term project to provide a large-scale research repository for the future. Well, phase one of the Folklore Library and Archive has now launched. You can visit the website at www.folklorelibrary.com where you'll be able to see what the project is about, browse the first parts of our indexes and find out how fundraising for this initiative will allow us to bring more currently unknown folklore collections to the public. Talking of fundraising... Remember, the Folklore Podcast continues to be produced thanks only to the generosity of our Patreon supporters. In return for a small amount each month, just a dollar at the entry level, supporters get bonus audio content, early access to interviews and other exclusive extra rewards. Without that support, the podcast would not still be here. To help keep us going, please visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast and sign up. Or make a small one-off donation, if you enjoy what we do, on our homepage at www.thefolklorepodcast.com. Thank you. On the next episode of the podcast, I'll be examining medieval magical literature, with a particular focus on erotic magic, with my guest Larissa de Freitas. I hope you'll be able to join us for that. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>